Welcome to We Do That, a Taz fancast. I'm your co-host, Chris. And I'm Jake Cool Ice. And I'm Colin. And on this week's episode, Amnesty, episode two. I cast Zone of Truth. Uh, Nat 20. Of course it is. Uh, we did uh, We did bad, guys. Yeah, so each week we're going to go to the Zone of Truth at the beginning of the episode and try to figure out what we got wrong from last week's episode. This week, all of it. And let's start with the biggest bit. I said at the end that all the three characters have to meet in episode two because we only have four or five episodes and they have to be together. Uh, nope. Griffin disagrees. They have still never met each other. They've met a whole bunch of NPCs who are not each other. And... They are not yet on a grid giant adventure. Uh, no one went to the Nakanomicon. I thought they'd do that. I did get Mama does have a secret society of otherworldly beings. So, small win. Yeah. Uh, I think we all kind of lost on that coming together point. Um, because, I mean, we only were supposed to have a couple episodes, so... It had to happen, right? So we we all kind of took that ding. I mean, I'll let you own that if you wish, but uh, we all got it wrong there. Um, I predicted that Duck was going to come visit Ned because he's the only person in town who might have something to do or knowledge about monsters. Um, so Duck, Duck didn't, didn't even make either. it out of the forest. Yeah, that seemed like a very short timeline. Like, Duck's episode... Duck's traveled maybe like half an hour in two episodes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 very fair. Um, I expected them to all meet up in the woods, which, as we discussed, was wrong. Um, but I do feel better about uh, our predictions regarding how long this mini arc will be. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I think that's a solid. <laughs> we got we got that one pretty solid. Yeah, I don't think there's any way this wraps up in four episodes. I was feeling nervous about it early in the episode when uh, Duck encountered the monster, but now considering they don't even know each other exists yet, feel pretty good about it. I also predicted that essentially Duck would end up hunting Ned. <laughs> Uh, which hasn't happened yet, no, I mean, and Ned no longer has his gun. But Duck doesn't. Have his perhaps gun. I mean Ned doesn't. Right? Yeah. Either. Sorry. No one has a gun. We're back to being gunless. Yes, um, entirely. Uh, but that doesn't mean Duck could not Dick Cheney Ned in some other way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd I have to know. go back through some, like, CNN articles from the early 2000s to see what, what those other opportunities would be. But, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, I'm, I just uh, don't want to rule it out. Uh, so, Zone of Truth, we'll get there next time. Yeah. Um, but now we've, we're back, we're into episode two now. We are continuing our adventure in the mountain, uh, I blew it already, Monongahela? That should be. Oh, you did so good! You did so good! Yeah, thanks everybody. All right, all right. Well done. Uh, Um, I look forward to never getting that word right this entire arc. Well, you have at least one to three more months of doing it. So yeah, there you go. There. Um, but we're into episode two now. I had a very strong initial reaction, like two sentences in of. Really? Another three-parter where they're all doing scenes? Like, I get the storytelling aspect of it, but boy, howdy. This is not entirely what I signed up for as an Adventure Zone arc of the, the what I thought was like the mission of what they're doing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, I think I think the three, the, you know, Travis and Justin and Clint have such a good... A relationship with each other that really comes through when their characters are together and they play off each other. Yeah, man, it's almost um, like they're related. Well, okay, all right. Yeah, all right, good, Fair. good, thanks. Good, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but like there, there was there was a distinct, I felt, lack of humor in this episode, um, which yeah. is something 
the, the original balance arc is some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard. And now I feel like we're missing a lot of that. Right. And especially I would say when they were somewhat adrift in their first part of balance, you know, the, the storytelling hadn't really taken off. There's a lot of great ad libbing and riffing that happens in there that creates some hilarious moments that, um, are just not possible when you're doing it as three little vignettes. And I, so, which is, which is fine if that's the direction they want to take it. Um, I think Griffin as a GM and as a podcast host and as a content creator has definitely have formed a focus on storytelling that is, um, is great. I think, I think he's a very good storyteller. I think he is great at world crafting. I think the plot he's putting together is clearly very well thought out. Um, but it's different than sort of how I have come to consume the Adventure Zone as a comedy podcast and less as a storytelling podcast with some humor in it. Um, and if that's the direction they want to go, you know, I'm still in. I'm still listening. They can't get rid of me that easy. Uh, but I think it will be a standing concern of ours, or at least of mine, for the foreseeable future until that, that is established as their, as their new direction. And I mean, and, and I agree, but I think that's where I'm sort of holding out my judgment until we get these three characters together in the same room. Because they just haven't had the opportunity yet. And knowing that... You know, in, in, even in the setup episode, Griffin talked about not wanting to try to make this a super serious kind of thing. Like, and Monster of the Week is built to be campy. And when you when you watch things like Buffy or the Dresden Files, like they're all rife with humor. So, like, I'm not worried that those moments aren't coming. It's just felt a little different that they aren't here yet. Yeah. Well, and I think, and that I think relates back to the the constant comment we make about length. Is it's one thing if this was a second three vignette episode if we're heading towards season two of the Adventure Zone, but if it's our second vignette episode and Griffin in his head is really trying to hit five, that means we have three episodes where they're going to be together. I think that's kind of um, it's going to be disappointing to the audience who loves seeing the guys together and really doing that working their way through as a group to tell the story as opposed to just Travis telling a story with Travis and Griffin telling a story and then Justin and Griffin telling a story and then Clint and Griffin telling a story. Um, and obviously they're all together. They're all hearing it and you can hear the side comments, which I think is where a lot of the humor comes from sort of the picking bits out of it. But um, I'm really kind of missing that, that trio voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think, uh, I think this arc is thus far very enjoyable, but um, it also leaves. It also, I think, shows that they aren't really, at least foremost, a comedy podcast anymore. Right. They're a storytelling group. Right. Which is well, fine. They're, they're using, very good at it. Yeah. Using role playing games as a storytelling medium. Right. Which is. They do a great job with it, um, but it's not. I think our my expectations for what to expect each week have changed. So what are you expecting now? Well, now I'm expecting a you know a a story told through this role playing environment, but ultimately, um, for better or worse, it really feels like Griffin's story that he is walking these characters through, um, and that may be just as this arc is sort of getting set up and getting getting going um but really these there haven't there has it hasn't felt like there have been any significant decisions by any of the characters that would really change the way the game plays out yeah and i i do think that kind of leads into the first the first note i made for myself about the arc is the way i feel like griffin has a way of telling this story where he gives he's making a conscious effort to not lead the character down a road, but is almost can error too far on that in some ways. Um, Cause I do think it's, it's clear that Griffin's going to narrate this whole thing and really set them up. And maybe when they come together, there'll be better decisions. Um, but like the first note that I had as we're going through ducks segment was Griffin is describing the forest as he's pursuing the, the beast and he's noting the, the short shadows on the ground. And he says they, you know, it, it 
seems like burnt grass. Like you think it's burnt grass. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. if you're walking through the forest as a person, like burnt grass is pretty easy to identify. I don't, I don't think there would be any question in Duck's mind. Oh, that's burnt grass. Like, so Griffin couching that narrative piece, that descriptive piece as he's describing the world seems unnecessary because it would be something that any person would very easily arrive at. Like, is that a shadow or is it burnt? Like it's burnt. Uh, you don't need to mince words there, but it seems like him letting his desire to let the characters tell the story sort of overriding uh, what might be natural descriptors and would be more acceptable. And that just took me out of the arc a little as a moment of what, how are they really going to go about this as a team, as opposed to one person leading? Because if Griffin really wants to lead and take the charge, then I think he just needs to own moments like that where the grass is burnt. You know, it's, it's what it is. Um, it's a no, and I, th- I, th- I think you're right. Um, and I think Duck's segment this week is the worst offender of that kind of style in a lot of ways. And I think a lot that are more troubling than just pointing out some descriptors. So there were several moments, um, like when his astral guide appeared, that Griffin said to us that Duck is freaking out and didn't provide Justin the opportunity to say, oh yeah, Duck's freaking out. Nothing about Duck's character so far says that he would freak out at a situation and nothing about the way that Justin responded to the rest of the, the lines there were freaking out or at the end of the episode where duck is uh, approaching the portal and Griffin is describing him approaching with trepidation, it would have been better to, or for me better to, allowed Justin to walk us through what go- what's going on in Duck's head rather than being told it because maybe it was different than what Griffin had in mind. Yeah, and I think that can be tricky too because there's and I don't I don't know how you square this as a as a GM and I, I assume they're doing the best they're doing the best they can because there's we're at a moment where we'd very much want to be in Duck's head and hearing all of Duck's feelings and his, you know, how he's interpreting all the information he's getting and interpreting what he's seeing, but he doesn't know any of that information without Griffin telling him. Mm -hmm. So it puts Griffin in a position where he either has to very dryly lay out what's in front of him and then let Justin slash Duck color it in as the storyteller, or we have to let Griffin lead on some of those emotional cues so that the audience knows what to feel and we get to move forward without having to hear Griffin lay out what's going to happen and then Duck tell us how he felt through that all happening, which, again, is like a narrative tool as a storytelling medium is not is not a good way to do it. Yeah, I think that makes sense from, you know, just making it more palatable to their weekly listeners um, that they would do it that way. I do agree that some of the things... Um, and some of the ways uh, Griffin described it don't natu- uh, necessarily match with the way Duck actually seemed to react. Um, there was a pretty large disconnect where, you know, he hasn't seen this astral guide or whatever it was in 20-some years. Yeah. And he his reaction was he turned once to leave, but then he just talked to it normally, which I thought seemed... I don't know, for somebody who's in denial about their, who may be in denial about their place, it seems strange that 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 would be his reaction. Right. I think I definitely would have believed that Duck turned heel as soon as he saw the vision and just walked away. Um, Because I can imagine, so I guess I'm, I'm of two minds about this, I think. I think there's a version where Duck sees it, he walks away, and I can buy that as being in character. But I need that to keep happening. And I need Griffin then to like narrate the specter moving along as Duck continues to search for this lost camper or hiker guy um, and sort of like pester him as he goes. Because Ned um, Duck is focused on this mission of protecting a park guest 
Like, that's what he's out for. He doesn't, this is a thing that he's put in his past. He's put it out of his mind. It's a dream. So he could very matter-of-factly be like, this isn't happening. I need to stick to what I'm doing. Find this guest, get them safe, protect them from the monster. On the right. other hand, there's a moment where when they reveal that um, Duck has, like, as a chosen, has magic armor that's basically always around. And if that is the case and has always been the case, like, doesn't come in and out, I guess, and we don't know this for sure, but my assumption is that that's something that Duck has always had. He's always been, from a child, been hard to hurt, you know, sort of a tough person. But if that's the case, I feel like it lends credence to the fact that Duck would have to have some ongoing awareness of being somewhat magical. Like, if things hit you and you don't get hurt for your entire life, you can't just write that off as, I'm tougher than everybody else. Like, that should keep the thoughts of him as status as a chosen sort of at the front of his mind, which would make his interactions be very different and how he perceives himself be very different than I shut off that part of my mind when I was 19 and now we're back to it as an early 40 something. See, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, because I think it's hard to notice what isn't there. And so if, if he's never gone through a traumatic event, you know, if he's not, if he's not Bruce Willis from Unbreakable, um, you know, living through uh, train wrecks or whatever, you know, maybe he's never gives it a second thought. You know, I've never broken a bone, but that doesn't make me think that my bones are invincible. Yeah, but I mean, you know, at some point, and I guess it's sort of a a, a magnitude thing, like, has he ever tripped and had the wind knocked out of him? Has he ever had, you know, something fall on his toe and that hasn't hurt? Or, you know, how far does the sort of magical armor stuff go? Like, has he never gotten a paper cut? Like, little things like that. What did you guys think of the magical armor bit? Because it's it was clear that even Griffin didn't realize that that was an effect of being the Chosen. Well, my my, my take was that it was one of many possible abilities. Oh. Um, and so, I mean, for someone who's inclined to outdoorsy stuff, it makes sense. And so... You know, I didn't really have a problem with it because it felt right for the character, you know, for all of these reasons, you know. Right, right. And I think I think what's interesting is that Justin wouldn't share that choice as part of the setup episode. He waited to pull it out the first time he got damaged and said, no, I don't take any damage. I'm good. Right. Yeah, it does seem... Um... It does seem strange that you would withhold some character information from the DM, um, especially when Griffin is clearly cra- crafting an arc around a lot of their abilities and things. Um, why that part would not come up is, it seems like a big oversight in terms of getting a cohesive story put together. Agreed. Um, and what uh, what did you guys think of the having the spectral vision, whatever it was, what do you think of that addition to the story? I guess I will have to see what's on the other side of the archway or gateway, whatever, before I can make that decision. Um, Cause it kind of, it, it kind of gets it kind of gets at this point of you know what does it mean to be chosen is is duck's fate inextricably line, aligned with what's going on right now or did he just happen to get you know how how it fits in with the story i guess is not clear yet and so that was a long way to say it's not clear Sorry. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I think it's it's a it's a big question to to muster up to simply because I think the vision is going to play a huge role in how Duck's character develops. Um I I don't buy it as a storytelling tool if only because well, I guess you're we're I'm going to run on the assumption that 
the little bit of narration we got at the opening of episode one, where the gate lights up, is the trigger for all of these preceding events. And mm-hmm. if that being the case, like, does this, why does the gate trigger? Because that, I guess, sparks Duck's vision and sparks the arrival of this monster, presumably. Um, so, so if you couldn't tell by the fact that I asked asked the question, I have a couple problems with it. Um, oh, really? Maybe a. I was pretty sure at the start of every session, uh, Justin was supposed to roll plus weird to start one of those visions. Is, was that mistaken? I thought it or was the start of what, every campaign. Okay, okay, that may be. Um, well, and I also don't know that these were two separate sessions for them. You know. Yeah, that's and that's fair. Um, but here's here's my here's my bigger sort of issue with it. Um, you know, first of all, a to what you said, Chris, if if the gate triggered it, what what triggered the gate? But also, what triggered it back when he was eighteen? You know, it's it's this sort of unclear. Uh, it's unclear to what the spirit is and how it's supposed to be used. It seems like a way uh, Duck was on his own in the forest, and so Griffin had to have an NPC to interject the um, narrator in there somehow. Well, Um, but I think, like, the, the only value I think the vision added would be in the moment it sort of convinced duck to go through the archway i think that is that is the key role the vision played the other part where it sort of talks about like you need to be ready have you been training is maybe more for the audience's uh benefit but in terms of duck like if duck had been wandering through the woods found the flashlight been attacked by the beast gotten hit by the beast ran away the beast chased him to the clearing he arrives at the clearing he sees the gate He's, I imagine yep. he would still need the vision to encourage him through the gate. But up until that point, it didn't need to exist, except for the fun I, of having it. Well, and I, I don't think he would need... Justin's a good enough role-playing person at this point that he doesn't need a vision to tell him to go through the gate. If Fair, you say yeah, the monster's probably, coming up behind you and the gate lights up, he's running through that right. gate. As, he's going to yes-and his way into the gate as a character play. Exactly, exactly. So I just don't know what the point of the vision is, which is a little frustrating to me. Um, um, if we want to talk about frustration, we could move on to Aubrey's arc. I was about to suggest moving on as well because I could probably harp all day on yeah i did so before we started recording i did sort of think to myself i want us to try to avoid doing all of our episodes like a freshman writing seminar where they all where every critique starts with i loved what you wrote but and then just here's a list of criticisms uh right because i think we need to point out the great things too so before we move on i do want to say that i very much love the decision for duck to throw the rifle at the monster rather than try to shoot it I think that was a very good character choice. Um, I think it shows that Duck is cool under pressure up to a point. But uh, at some point, he's so far out of his depth that he just panics. And that can still happen. And I think that's a great amount of depth to give the character. I think it fits with what I know about him so far. Uh, And I think it's the humor that Justin read was able to infuse into the situation that otherwise might have come down to just like a straight up combat kind of thing, which would not have been as fun. Uh, a link to that, I think, is the fact that when he ran away from the monster, he picked up the radio. Um, he didn't pick up the gun or the. And he didn't do anything to try and engage with the monster. He just picks up his radio so he can let people know where he is so they can try and save him instead of trying to be the hero, which I think links back to what, what you're just saying about the rifle and the fact that, you know, he is out of his depth and he's, you know, he's a park ranger. Yeah. And like, I don't particularly believe having, being able to have Justin's monologue on the radio while he's running through the forest, but I really liked that it happened. I thought it was very funny. I thought 
the way he decided to phrase things, not as like, holy shit, help, there's a monster, but uh, I need to egress from north of the Cranberry River. Like, I think that's a great way of, he's panicked, but he's still processing in the way that Duck processes things in sort of a pragmatic, very, um, gosh, uh, the world I'm looking for is escaping me, but level-headed kind of approach. Right. Um, the opposite of level-headed might be Aubrey, who uh, is the next part of episode two. Man, you're nailing those segues. Man, that's if that's my bit on this podcast, I am down. I will do intros, segues, and all the post. <laughs> I'm in. You guys take it from there. <laughs> um, so I'm sensing that I might be the outstanding opinion here, but I actually really enjoyed Aubrey's segment today. Or this week. Um, and I think we definitely got a better feel for her as a character. Notwithstanding some chronological disparities that haven't been addressed yet. But I think I think you're you're right that she wasn't very cool under pressure and Okay, all right. That but there first, was a lot of We need to address the elephant in the room. In the setup episode Griffin said that there was an inn. And when Aubrey gets there, it's a lodge. And I just don't know <laughs> that I can trust what they're doing anymore if that's the kind of fucking hot takes they're going to have and just switch it up mid-arc. No, I mean, I think you're right. I hadn't considered that. Uh, yeah, that's so you don't mind that they switch from a comedy podcast to a, to a more storytelling through RPG podcast, but God damn it, an inn is an inn. Well... Yeah, I mean, I think, yes. Like, if you're going to grow as a podcast, I'm all in. But an, an inn and a lodge, to me, have, like, very distinct characteristics. In, and in, describe them. Go. Uh, so an inn, smaller, countryside, possibly haunted. Lodge, bigger, strong beams, less haunted, more secret chambers. <laughs> Those are, that's, I think that's it. I feel like you're just bringing a lot of your preconceptions about both inns and lodges to bear through this podcast. I mean, I'm generally pretty opinionated about the hospitality industry as it stands. Uh, so, you know, that'll be my next podcast. Chris's hotel time. Oh, man. I, I, Chris's hotel time. Chris's hotel time. <laughs> sitting in a hotel right but now. But see, a hotel is neither an inn nor a lodge. So... <clears throat> Right, exactly. It's a whole different. It's a whole different experience. Fuck. Anyway, it's fine. I'm gonna let this one slide. If they do it again, I'm quitting the show. Our show or their show? Yep. He's just gonna be insinuating what happened from what we talk about. But he will be on this podcast uh, because we need him to fix the post. Right. I will edit this thing with zero context. Um, so i will say, all right so go ahead well no i think i think maybe we could let we could let jake take us through the positives though i'm reading through my notes and a lot of them are very positive at the aubrey arc though the emotions i had at the end of it were mostly not positive but i didn't oh i had not positive emotions when there were werewolves in the lodge that was bad yeah oh right we didn't have jake's nightmare corner where we talk about how much sleep he's lost this week <laughs> Is it that a was lot? real bad. Um, Jake Cool Ice better not be a werewolf because we're like tight right now, but that could change. Um, but no, I really enjoyed Aubrey's segment, and I thought it was the most sort of fleshed out and I guess forward moving of the arcs today or God, this week. I can't, it's not today. Um, that's stupid. Don't include that. You can edit that out. <laughs> it's in now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, be so self-referential and it will be edited. Out. But I think, you know, we see this young person, you know, Again, we like as we talked about last week, how young is up for debate, but definitely younger than Duck or Ned. Um, 
processing what is a very out-of-the-box situation to be thrust into and to have cast magic for the first time and realized it, I would have been right there with her freaking out. Um, and I so, think that... Go. So I had... So I understand her reaction to casting the magic. Sort of. Except that she kind of already knew about it because she did the deep breathing at the other place in Lodge. Whatever, they're all the same. Um, but then to have no reaction to people just suddenly becoming werewolves? Well, like that, I, don't know if, I don't know if she had no reaction or we just didn't get to experience the reaction. Because that, that wrapped up that piece of the arc pretty fast. Well, she said, well, look, I've watched movies and these sort of things happen. Yeah. Like, why does she suspend her disbelief for that, but does not suspend her disbelief for the fact that she could have magic, which she has controlled in the past? Fair. Fair point. I, uh, I would say that, at least in that, as that segment, when just after she casts the big fireball and she's... She is freaking out. I liked that Travis committed to that bit of, like, she's going to freak out for a while, even while Griffin tried mm-hmm. to, like, continue off narration. Sort of to the same thing that we're talking about with Griffin uh, and Juice before when Duck is having these emotions when he walks into the forest. You know, it seemed like Griffin was trying to move on, and Travis just would not let him move past that while Aubrey was having this moment. And I think that was a really good choice um, for playing in this character that is younger, less experienced and would like would sit there and just be like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit for a while while they tried to process this thing through. Mm-hmm. I know it felt, it felt really natural to me and was funny, which I appreciate. I mean, getting back to our previous point, um, I think that if, if we can balance the two, you know, it felt like there was a different hand guiding this arc as opposed to Duck's arc. So I think coming together or finding the middle way um, will be an important step. Yeah. But I, like I said, I was, I really enjoyed this part and I think that I am much more, interested in where Aubrey's story is going than I was after the end of the first episode. I agree. Though I don't know how much of Dr. Bonkers I'm going to be able to take over this arc. Because uh, the the way the like Aubrey pretension around Dr. Bonkers really kind of grates on me. I think it's a very good character choice. I think it's in character. I think it makes sense for someone who we're currently pegging as like a late teen who might really cling to that as a bit of importance, but boy, howdy, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. Like in the car when they're like, she's like, does your bunny want a carrot? And like my what? It's like, no, we don't. It's your fucking bunny. It's like that, that iPad commercial that's out right now where the child goes and lays in the backyard and neighbor's like, what are you doing on your computer? And she's like, what's a computer? It's like, you know what a computer is, you idiot. Like, don't play that game with me. Uh, <laughs> I totally agree. I, I I did like everything with Mom. I liked everything with the Lodge, but that rabbit is going to drive me crazy if she keeps saying, I'm sorry, what do you refer to him as? It's it's a rabbit. Right. That or, uh, uh, that or Griffin just needs to get on board and have every NPC address him as Dr. David Bonkers from the get-go so that Travis doesn't have to do that anymore. Uh, it's not Dr. Agreed. David Bonkers. I can't believe you would be so disrespectful of this rabbit. It's Harris. <laughs> God. Uh, I do want to note that um, carrots aren't actually what like rabbits are supposed to eat regularly. Like they're supposed to eat leafy greens. Carrots are a little too sweet for them, is my understanding. Do you think Mama did like a really in-depth uh, study about the diets of carrots? while they were walking to the truck running away from the police and just arrived at You know, Paris. I'd be particularly uh, interested not, you know, for you to finish this book about the diet of carrots. 
Um, uh, I don't, I don't think she did, but she does surround herself with these mythical were people and animals and whatever. So I think she would understand their dietary uh, nature in general. I will say that does open the door to what could have been a great moment of when Mama stops Jake Kulais and tells him to go make up a room. If Aubrey had then suddenly whipped out like Doctor Doctor Harris Bonkers, uh, like writer, like his room requests, like oh he'll need this many things, and just hands it over to Nick and it's like, and if you could get one ready for Doctor Bonkers as well, that would have been pretty fucking hilarious. And I that would have been in character. I, like she just I travels with the list that. of requirements for her rabbit. Although, does it bother anybody else that we have no idea how old this character is? Yes, yes, it does. Because uh, I think that would be a lot. Getting there. That would be a lot of the framing of how I interpret the character's reactions. You know, if if Aubrey is mid to late teen, early twenties, that is a different framing than late twenties, early thirties, and all these things are happening. Right, right, exactly. Agreed. Um, so, is, and then, um, I see you like sort of, we kind of buried the lead in Aubrey's arc. Because it's not really, I feel like the biggest revelation is not what Aubrey did, but that the Lodge exists and is full of monsters posing as humans. Um, yep, yep. So, so, and that and that is like the revelation of the episode, which right, and that that they have some sort of magical item, bracelet, charm, whatever that allows that sort of anchors their human form. But once they take it off, they transform, transform back, which I think was an uh, an interesting and pretty good choice. Um, pretty simple, you know, simple technique to to ground them in the human world or plane or whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, some easy talisman for them to uh, to cover themselves with. Exactly. I thought it was really interesting to get to the fact that there's been this sort of back and forth between these two worlds. And so... There's part of me that takes worry at, at, at your posing as humans being monsters like they're sure they are what we would consider monsters but they're clearly not monsters in the typical sense like not in the same sense as whatever's out in the woods right now Mon you know monsters with the char characterization of monsters as opposed to monsters being just creatures that exactly are like yeah you know i i think you know, that's something that I'm looking forward to maybe getting to explore a little bit. Um, right. I is... mean, I, I think that plays into Griffin's whole, like, the the story of Kepler of the crypto, uh, cryptozoological tourism versus, like, uh, ecotourism kind of deal. Like, do we also embrace the traditional monster think of they're all big, scary creatures or they're just like, they just are other beings and that has to be okay. Wait. So uh, are then so do you think then the non cryptozoological folk in Kepler are actually monsters and they want people to shut up about it so that they can live a peaceful life? Oh shit. Uh I don't know, but you do need to save that for the zone postulation. Okay. Save that. I'll bring it back. We're not there yet. I know. Um, but boy, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Mm. Right? Nailed it. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. First try. <laughs> um, but that brings us into sort of, uh, we're going to have to spend some time on the role of these monsters from another world coming into Kepler and all that once we know more about what's happening there. I think... We're currently a little too uninformed to do any in-depth discussion other than just postulating about it. But it does take us into the story of Ned in the woods in his Wookiee costume trying to drum up some business for the Necronomicon and um, be having a very 
different experience than he was planning on. Um, Ned rolls up into the woods with all of his supplies, and I loved, as I was listening to it, Clint is describing he's in his Wookiee costume, and I the first thing I said in my head was, but Chewbacca wears a bandolier. Like, that's going to give it away. <laughs> and then he immediately addressed it. I was like, shit, he gets it. Oh, he gets it so good. That is literally my only note about Ned sections. Of yeah. Thank God Clint he, mentioned the he, bandolier. Uh, I think he does get in. He spent a, a... And this sort of calls back to what um, we were talking about earlier. He spends a quite a while describing how he's setting up, how he's going to do it, um, what he's doing. Um, and then he takes a first take and it doesn't work. Uh, it's too in focus. And so he's playing around with it. He's taking the second take. And then, uh, Griffin, you sort of interjects. Says, okay. Let's say that's a good take because, because he doesn't want to do, I'm ready to move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I, my, my frustration with Ned's segments. Um, and I think this calls back to something you mentioned on our last episode, Chris, um, is really that I don't know that we've gotten to see Ned like in his own element yet. He's only been responding to basically things uh, Griffin has put there. It, it, it's all reaction based at this point. It's he didn't choose to go to the woods. He was basically told to go to the woods and create Bigfoot shots. Um, you know, he didn't get to make a lot of. I feel like there's not been a lot of character choices for him yeah, to make. Yeah, it's been yet. a very narrow role play for Clint to try to just read Griffin's mind based on the situation and play out where he's put, which, in fairness, can be the point of a role-playing game. Like, you're put in a situation, you got to figure it out. But I think Ned's story exemplifies being given not enough information to make a compelling story, which goes back to our first point of, like, if they're trying to do some storytelling – I think Clint and Griffin need to spend some time together of what's happening here so that that story comes out a lot more than Clint's focus on the sort of nuts and bolts of what's happening, which I think is just from Clint's arc and how he handled balance. I think that's just how Clint works, and I think that's awesome. I think it shows a lot of thought about how the character goes about the world, about how Clint goes about the world. But if they're trying to get on with big story points, it seems like Clint and Griffin need to get some offline time plan out a little bit about situations and then they could roll it into the storytelling when they're all together. Yeah, I can see that working better. Um, this is a slight tangent, but this sort of comes back to, you know, each of these arcs are sort of feeling a little different. Um, and I mean, I mean, I mean, each of these character arcs, um, the three of us, uh, Chris, Colin, and I, are all minimally familiar with our own sort of D&D campaigning. Um, so we have a little bit of context. And the, so the question that I would ask to both of you, as your dungeon master, your best friend, um, which of these three games would you be more interested playing in, in playing? Because, you know, would you be interested in playing Duck's game, Aubrey's game, or Ned's game? And why? Like, what, what, is, what is compelling or not compelling you about these? And I think that's a, a place for us to consider as we start to get more context. So I think, I mean, if we want to go down that road, I think the game that Ned's playing could very quickly become, like, a Lovecraftian business management sim. Uh... There is... Nothing in the world that sounds more up your alley. Right, which is that. which is exactly what I would want to play and also not what I would want to role play. Uh, you launch that on Steam and I'm there and I will put 400 hours into it. Um, I think Aubrey's arc is heading towards the, what I find more exciting, like, I have fire magic, let's go blow shit up. Uh, whereas ne um, Duck's arc is going to be like the... I'm comparing these to, I realize, like computer game tropes as opposed to role-playing game tropes, but I think they fit better in my mind. Um, Duck's yeah. arc is going to be like the platforming, puzzle-solving game, uh, which is less my speed. So I am I would be playing the Aubrey game if given my choice. I think, I think um, 
you know, looking at these three arcs, I can see Doug's kind of going into like a stranger in a strange land type of arc, uh, where he, once he goes through that portal, he doesn't really know where he is, what he's doing, what's what are the rules over there. Um, for Ned's arc, I'm not really sure where it's going. Um, you know, there's a lot of potential there. Um, I think I would go with Aubrey's arc as well, which makes it a little more frustrating to have a character that doesn't feel like a stand-in for a uh, doesn't feel like a, a, a doesn't feel like a character I could connect to in any way. I can see that. Yeah, fair. So, what about those same thoughts when these three characters come back together? You know, what what do you see it meaning for the Adventure Zone Amnesty when it tries to? squish these three different things together. I think Amnesty is going to end up being in the vein of Ned's arc. Uh, just in terms of, I think, what we have seen Griffin want to build, I think that is the direction it will go as a whole, where Griffin is going to have a pretty laid out plan, and these three guys are just going to have to figure out how to adapt to what Griffin is the road that Griffin is sort of pushing them towards. Um, and this is, you know, four episodes in, we're going to end up with another Griffin, the railroading DM conversation happening. Um, but I think in terms of where they're going for storytelling and how this all plans out, I think Amnesty is going to very much follow the flavor of what Ned's mini arcs have come. Now, I will say this, my concern immediately is we're in, we're in episode two, we're heading to episode three, Aubrey has made it to Kepler, and Duck just fucking left this plane of existence. So, we're getting awful farther away from the three of them coming together. Yeah, it'll be, it'll definitely be interesting to see if and how they come together. Um, or if... Oh, don't you put that if out there into the universe. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm putting it out there. Um, well, I wonder, sort of what I'm wondering, well, I'll save it for the zone of postulation. Because I have some theories. All right. So, anything else about uh, Ned's arc? I really appreciated that Barclay ended up, or Barclay, or Barclay. Um, I'm gonna call him B Man. Um, oh, that's bad too. Yeah, that's not <laughs> um, yeah, that would be the worst. <laughs> I really appreciated that he ended up being Bigfoot, like. That was really funny to me. Yeah, it does. Raise, um, like, I do need to work out timeline a little bit, because uh, like, Barclay was at the lodge when Aubrey arrived. Arrived because Mama said Barclay could fix. No, 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 she didn't. She said I could see if Barclay's here to fix you something. Okay, but but in either case, I presumed Aubrey to arrive at night. Agreed. And I don't think Barkley was there. I think he was already doing weird stuff in the woods. Right. Well, and I, well, I was presuming that Ned was out like during daytime. I don't know if they established what time of day it was. So I could see I, pres- I could see those going together. But then Duck is out at night, late at night. Well, okay. Yeah. I do. I... I the way I foresee it is Duck's thing is happening the same night, because Duck is out there at night, um, the same night uh, that uh, Duck is out there the same night Aubrey is taken to the lodge. I just think Duck's might start later than Aubrey's story did. Yeah. But that's also the same day that Ned gets his eviction notice, which I believe is a Friday because during episode one, during Duck's uh, little arc there, they were mentioning that there were like some high school football games going on. Right, right. Yeah, it's a Friday um, night when Duck first meets Pigeon. Right, right. So I would, I would think there is certainly some strange timelines going on because I don't think 
it would make a lot of sense for Ned to go out into the woods late at night, but certainly I think evening dusk when you want a picture of Bigfoot, but you don't want it to be too clear. Right, right, right. Um, sort of a hazy dusk might be best for it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really liked about Ned's little arc was um, that he knew who Barkley was. Uh, kind of giving back to that sense of community, I don't think Griffin expected him to know him, but the lodge is in or very close to Kepler. Right. So, oh, yeah, I've been to the lodge. You're uh, the cook up there, right? Oh, yeah. Um. So, like, I, like, I really in, it, like that he made that connection, um, which I don't think Griffin intended, but I think Clint kind of just did that, and I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was a good decision. Right, and I think that's going to become interesting, too, because it would presume that anyone else who'd been at the Lodge, uh, who are all these people who are, or these creatures who are posing as humans, would also be known in the community, Um and so who they are in real life or sort of who their human personas are, I think will become an interesting thing to figure out, assuming that everyone does still know each other, seeing how that transforms as we go forward through the arc will be, will be interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it sounds like a good time for us to get into the zone of postulation where each week we share a thought for each of us about what we think is going to happen in next week's episode that we can then tear apart at the beginning of our episode next week. Uh, so yeah, I'll jump in because yeah. I think that we will learn that some of these, you know, monsters in the lodge are actually the, the townsfolk that we've come to know, like, like we've been talking about, right? So that, you know, but more important, more importantly, they're just, they're not going to be just townsfolk. They're going to be the anti cryptozoological folk in an attempt to, you know, keep the press and the visitors and the tourists away from that side of Kepler so that they can live a peaceful life. And I think that gives us a really interesting new dynamic to look at these different communities relating to each other within the town. Yeah, I think if I think if that plays out, that'll be very very cool and some very like meta story building to have happening on on a couple a couple parallel threads that are all leading to the same point. Yeah. Um, as far as next week, I think, I think I'm sort of focused on nuts and bolts of, they have to get together next week. I'm imagining that. Do they? I mean, Jesus. I mean, I'll be wrong again. I'll say it. They're going to get together next week and then I'll be wrong again. Um, Duck goes through the gate, presumably has an experience. I mean, we have the, the, probably the bottom. We have to start next week with, again, another three vignettes and that. Yeah. It's just time. It's storytelling time. Like, even if they do five minutes per person, that's 15, you know, that's, tw- uh, come on, hold on, Chris. Yeah, there we go. 15 minutes of an hour podcast. That's a quarter of the podcast where we're not getting that great group dynamic together. Um, but anyway, Duck's going to go through the gate, presumably have some sort of interaction with whatever creatures are on the other side, and maybe begin to see his path as a chosen come back again and become something that he has to really take up the mantle on. I think Aubrey just gets her mind blown about magic for a little while. And then uh, a combination of her and mama meet up with duck near the gate as she's beginning to learn about those things. Ned is presumably brought back to the lodge by Barclay after uh, meeting with this monster. And then he gets the same talking to from mama probably meets Aubrey and that whole that sets them off as a trio to, figure things out so uh, i think i think that makes sense uh and i'm with you on some of it here's what i think will happen i think uh bigfoot will uh conquer the bobcat do whatever it has to do to the bobcat um get to talking to ned take him back to the lodge 
where Aubrey and Ned will meet up uh, and become, they'll, they'll go with um, Mama to the gate, at which point they'll realize it's been activated or somebody has gone through, or somehow they will get the information that someone has gone through. Mm -hmm. uh, Duck, who doesn't quite uh, accept any of this really yet, um, it seems like he's still pretty skeptical, will be on the other side, sort of lost, not sure what's happening, and they will have to go through and get him. Yeah. And I think they join up as a trio in uh, uh, the other side um, uh, of the gate, and then they will come back to, to get take care of this monster to save Kepler. That might be more than one episode, though. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good a good mini-arc to me. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think is on the other side of the gate? Uh, the upside down? That's just the easy way out, though, ain't it? Yeah, but that's, I mean, considering the popularity of that show, um, Stranger Things, I do wonder, I mean, surely um, Griffin would realize that there would be a lot of sort of parallels to that. I don't think it'll actually be the upside down. You said it was a place of fairy tales and, and stuff like that. So yeah. So my my image, my mental image is actually a lot more positive. Like if there's this sort of back and forth, um, you know, I, I'm I'm seeing sort of a more pastoral kind of, you know, bright fairy tale world. I'm I'm imagining more either Narnia or um, if anyone watched the, the TV show The Magicians, it's on TNT or TBS or sci-fi or something like that um, but there's another like fairy tale kind of world where the children go and like children's stories are real and there's uh, uh, magic and all these things Regardless of um, how nice of a place it may be, I do have to think if you're duck uh, it's going to be, you know, if you were in Narnia um, or in this pastoral place in which, you know, werewolves and Bigfoots existed. Um, big feet. Big, big feet. I think it's, I think it's Bigfoot. Foot. Sort of like Courts, courts foot. Marshall. Yes. Um, so if you're in a place where Big's Foot exists. Jesus, I hate it. It's uh, so sonically displeasant. <laughs> oh, my God. We have to do it every time. But man, oh, man, is uh, it bad. Like... If you're duck, you'd uh, you'd be freaking out. Like, even if it's a nice place, I don't know that you would recognize that immediately. Um, and I imagine there'd be a, is... a fair bit of suspicion that would go along with it, which would make you unable to maybe embrace the nicety of it. Even if you go in and you're greeted as as royalty and really welcomed, I think the standoffishness of duck will come through and and hinder his ability to embrace it. Right. Right, and, you know, if he's freaking out, I know, you know, Griffin will tell us, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's it. We postulated. I think, uh, I, we did postulate. Um, and before we wrap up, I do want to, you know, echo again uh, Chris's point from earlier. We love this show. Um, so any critiquing is done in the best of spirits. Um and we're super excited about seeing where it goes and you know, you can't shake us off. So yeah, for a, we love a it. podcast that I religiously listen to every week that it comes out and I've now gone to listening to twice a week so that I can then spend another hour talking about it. It certainly does all come from a place of love. Agreed. Uh, but on that note, uh, thanks for listening to we do that. Uh, check back in next week to see what we got right, what we got wrong, and what we forgot to talk about altogether. In the meantime, while you wait for our next episode, talk to us on Twitter at we do that underscore pod or email us at we do that pod at gmail.com. Please send us your thoughts, criticisms, and any theories for the future so we can shamelessly steal them. We do that pod comes out every Monday after the Adventure Zone. Bye, everybody. <laughs>